suppose what your faith has said was essentially correct. Suppose there is a universal mind controlling everything, a God willing the behavior of every subatomic particle. Now, every particle has an antiparticle. Its mirror image, its negative side. Maybe this universal mind resides in the mirror image instead of in our universe as we wanted to believe. Maybe he's anti-God, bringing darkness instead of light. Why weren't we told the truth? <laughs> Without the technology to confirm, it would have been another legend. But he was our prisoner, not yours. We had a responsibility to warn the rest of the world. Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we want to hear. to episode 71 of Dude and a Monkey. Uh, as always, and I'm driving the ship this week, uh, I'm Ian Loring, and I'm joined by... Matt Markoff, hello guys. Fantastic. And uh, what we've got coming up this week for you, what have we got? We've got a review of... Um, shit, I've completely blanked. Oh yeah, Jim Mickle's new film, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jim Mickle's new film, Cold in July. And uh, we're also going to talk some one old one new. We've got the latest part of the uh, Ian and Mark throwing their own shit at each other with uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And we've also got a bit of um, listener feedback and Twitter questions and whatnot as well. And along with that, we're going to uh, quickly go through our kind of like top five and bottom five of the year so far. 
um, at Dude and the Monkey, at Ian Loring, at, uh, at Dude Foz, and uh, Dude and the Monkey at gmail.com. Uh, Mark, anything else before we uh, get into some trailers? Uh, no, 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 nothing else to add uh, other than I uh, thoroughly advise people to go and read uh, Ian's brilliant piece on the Verite Film website uh, on allocated seating uh, and uh, how City World are maybe fucking it up a little bit. Oh, bless you, sir. Yeah, um, it's as I'm. I've been at pains to say it's not that I am anti allocated seating, which is what a lot of people are assuming I am. I am anti why they're why they're doing it and how they are trying to paint it as being um, something for the consumer when it's really really not. But uh, yeah, I refer you to that piece. But thank you, Mark. You're very much welcome. Nice one. Um, okay, so yeah, let's get into it then. So we are going to talk about some trailers and Mark what have you seen this week trailer wise uh, I've actually I've seen quite a few this week to be honest um, mainly due to the fact that I had a very slow day at work today so I, I consciously watched a load of trailers nice. um, the uh, new trailer well the, the first trailer for the um, Horrible Bosses sequel uh, I'm actually titled Horrible Bosses 2 um Right. I actually quite enjoyed Horrible Bosses, the film. I, I, I found it to be a, a perfectly passable comedy that, that entertained me enough uh, when I watched it. Um, and then I saw that trailer for Horrible Bosses 2 today, and it, it looks fucking awful. It just looks terrible. Um, it's, it's only a one minute and 40 second clip from it, and I, I probably um, said exactly the same thing about the uh, original Horrible Bosses trailer. But this looks like they really had no real idea about what they wanted to do with a sequel, that they just wanted to do a sequel. And that's it. Have you caught that one yet? Yeah, I wasn't big on Horrible Bosses at all. I watched this, but I have no interest whatsoever. The slow walking, trying to be cool kind of thing was... Fucking brutal. When when you have three or four gags in a, uh, a in a trailer and none of them land, um, and your trailer actually makes it little bit just look like you've reused shots from the first film, it, it, it's a very bad advertisement. Yeah, I I I could not give a fuck. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I wasn't that excited about it in the first place, and I'm in no way convinced that it might be alright. Um, next one was uh, Hector and the Search for Happiness. Um, it looks, I mean, it looks incredibly like um, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, in terms of the way it kind of looks in that, you know, one man going off in a journey to search for himself. I know that Walter Mitty is a very different film to that, uh, but that, it, in terms of how it's the trailer portrays it, it looks very similar to, to that kind of, you know, going round and you seeing this one person in different places kind of finding themselves. Um, it looks very much like that, um, and I don't know whether Simon Pegg on his own um, can be a warm enough um, screen presence for that to work. Um, that is my worry. However, uh, the trailer does have uh, Rosamund Pike um, smacking her own ass in it, so that that kind of made me go, 
Well, yeah, all right, there's one reason to watch it. So I, I, I'm cool with that. Um, next one was the disappearance of uh, Eleanor Rigby. Um, get a lot of um, sort of praise, this film seems to be. Uh, and it's McAvoy and Jessica Chastain, who are both pretty damn good in most things that they do. Um, but I'll admit, the trailer didn't do that much for me, really. Uh, I'm sure, you know, based on the, you know, the people involved, that there's, there's definitely something there, but the trailer just made it look a little bit like, a, a little bit generic, to be honest, and a little bit, a little bit like we've, a lot we've seen before. Like, all that's going to be there is the fact that we're seeing this kind of story about a kind of messed up relationship that, that, that these people sort of end up coming back and finding each other again. It's, there doesn't seem to be anything new there. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I can't say I'm that bothered. Yeah, the only thing, if, if it was two different actors, I, I don't think I'd give a shit. But McAvoy's on a little bit of a roll at the moment, and I think, you know, you look at it and you say, well, he usually picks quite well, so he, he must have seen something in it, and is it just shitty marketing? Um, the next one was the uh, Skeleton Twins, uh, starring Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. Um, Again, if it wasn't those two in lead roles, um, I would be saying it, it it does nothing for me um, and looks a little bit like stereotypes rehashing the same old shite. Um, but again, they are... Well, Bill Hader, it, doesn't, it, it seems like he's gone for something a little bit more serious, but it doesn't look like a serious film. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is or the word of mouth is on that one yeah I don't know it, it kind of um, I haven't seen this right for this but it, it kind of uh, reminds me of like uh, a COD a child of divorce or like they came together where it's just like these like American comedians that the internet likes yeah. but the mainstream doesn't really give a shit about and it, it just comes out to a few people really, really buzzing over it and a wave of indifference elsewhere. I kind of, I get that sense about all these fucking films, to be honest. I'm, I'm a little, I'm very wary of it. I mean, like, I, I'll be watching They Came Together soon and I just, it's just, I can't be asked. It's like working, having to work myself up to it, with, which with a film like that and what the Skeleton Twins looks like it could be. It just, it, it it feels like I'm already making too much effort to even bother watching them. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched uh, an adult child of divorce, and it's a it's a perfectly serviceable watch. There's nothing in it that's too offensive, um, but there's nothing in it that makes you at the end of it go, yeah, that was you know that 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 did something for me. I literally until you mentioned it just then, I thought, oh, could I have actually seen that? And I only watched it about a month ago, so. I've literally forgotten its entire existence in that amount of time. Uh, the next one was uh, Life After Beth. Um, be funny to see Dan DeHaan in a in a comedy role. Um, we've not really seen him do that. We've seen him do you know big budget, and we've seen him do quite um, sort of serious, more dramatic roles. But I don't think we've seen him in what looks like to be more of a comedic role. Um, and another play on the whole the, the, the whole zombie thing. Um, 
I don't get the Aubrey Plaza obsession where the people, again, that the, the, the internet seems to have. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I chuckled a few times at the at the trailer and the premise is entertaining enough. Uh, and that's, that, that's, that's playing the day we're at Fright Fest, is it? Is it? I think it's playing on the Friday. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch it then, then. Maybe. Um, and the final one, uh, the best trailer I've seen this week, is the uh, trailer for the Brad Pitt tank movie, Fury, um, which looks really fucking good, actually. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting, that is, because, I mean, it's David Ayer who's coming off a bit of a... Um a floppity flop with sabotage and um even though this was like being made way before that even came out and it's yeah. an interesting cast it'll be kind of interesting to see with by the whether the time this comes out whether um uh, Shia LaBeouf may it that maybe it might have cycled back around to let's give him a chance oh do you know what Life After Beth isn't showing that day it's showing on the Saturday um on the Saturday my bad um well, yeah I mean the thing about it seems to be from the promotional stuff they're kind of at the moment wanting to distance themselves from the fact that Shia LaBeouf's in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not really in the trailer that much, um, and they are essentially pitting it very much as a as a Brad Pitt movie. Uh, but it, it does seem like it's going to have a little bit of a little bit of depth and a little bit more sort of seriousness to it. Um, I was actually very, very impressed by the trailer and it, it did, the minute it finished, I thought, right, I want to watch that film now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't say I had that, that kind of reaction to it, but it looks like a very men being men doing manly things, kind of, that, which is David Ayer's yeah. thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we'll probably review it on the show, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it didn't quite get that reaction from me, I must say. Yeah, um, and then um, that, that's it. That's that's my my lot for this cool. week. Uh, I've just got a couple to add. Uh, Into then. the Storm, uh, kind of found footagey looking tornado film, which, uh, I don't know, looks like it could have some fun action. Um, that That's about it, really. I, I don't know, it, it kind of feels like a Netflix film. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds like a Netflix film. Yeah, too right. And um, Dracula Untold, which. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't watch the trailer for that, but I hovered over it and then got disturbed. <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, by the trailer, just by something else. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Like apparently this thing cost a hundred million dollars, and it kind of feels like. Whoa. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like the forty-seven Ronin situation where it's just like, would you spend that amount of money on that? You know, yeah. it, it, it's um, yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, like, I kind of like the idea of, you know, Dracula using his shit in a kind of like a mass scale battle situation. But the idea of Dracula being a loving father who sacrifices himself for his child, it just, no. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, no. Um, so, I don't know. If the reviews are good for it, which they won't be, then maybe I'll be intrigued. But otherwise, Netflix, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was about it for me, actually, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, let's move on. We're gonna have a clip from, uh, the new film Jim, from, uh, Stakeland, We Are What We Are remake direct, uh, director Jim Mickle. Uh, this is, uh, Cold in July. Did he say anything to you at the school? No, I just waved. You waved? Yeah. So what do you want me to do here, Rich? I want him arrested. For what? 
He hasn't done anything. He threatened my son. He said your boy looks like you. It's not a threat. He showed up at Jordan's school. In broad daylight in front of witnesses and did nothing. He wants my son. I know it. I want protection. That's not going to happen. Not without a legal reason. <sighs> I tell you what I do, Rich. Unofficially, I have a car stop by your house every couple hours or next few days. Give you a little peace of mind. He's probably just trying to scare you. Don't let him. Okay, yeah, so Cold in July, directed by Jim Mickle and uh, co-written by him and Nick Domici, his um, long-time uh, writing partner. And uh, it stars uh, Domici in um, what looks like a prominent role in the first act, but um, kind of tails off. Um, but also Michael C. Hall, uh, Sam Shepard and uh, Don Johnson. Uh, story essentially starts with, this isn't a spoiler, this literally happens in the first two minutes of the film, Michael C. Hall is uh, kind of like woken up by an intruder in his house. He goes downstairs. He ends up shooting the intruder. And um, then there is a, uh, well, basically the intruder's father, uh, played by Sam Shepard, um, kind of comes to town seeking vengeance. And the film goes on from there. Um, the plot goes off in pretty mad well not mad but surprising directions from there so from that point i'd say the the less you know the more likely you are to enjoy it maybe yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say so there's it, it's not really it, it's not like there's, there's a lot of twists and turns or anything in the film it's not a twisty film but it does it does take some some turns that you're not expecting yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so, Mark, what do you think of Cold in July? Um, well, first of all, the weird thing was, I went to see Cold in July um, on a... Uh, the only one screen I could get to happened to be a subtitled screening for um, the um, Hard of Hearing. Um, and what I'll say now is it's really strange watching an English-language film uh, with subtitles on, because for the first sort of five, ten minutes, I, I couldn't stop myself from reading the subtitles. It was just an automatic response was to read the subtitles. So it took me about five, ten minutes to actually get out of that that automatic response of doing that. It was quite strange. Um, and also, um, people in uh, hard of hearing uh, screenings are ridiculously loud. <laughs> they jangle about and rustle about a lot. And I thought, I can't get angry here because these people might be deaf and yeah. might not know they're doing it. Uh, so it was, it was quite strange. Um I, I actually um, really, really enjoyed uh, Cold in July. I was quite sort of lukewarm on the, his remake of We Are What We Are. Um, I very, really liked Stay Clan. Um, I was a, a, a very much a fan of Cold in July. It's, it's got a, a very sort of early 90s kind of, I don't want to say straight to video, but those, like, uh, it reminded me a lot of, um, John Dahl's early 90s work things like um, The Last Seduction and Red Rock West and films like that in, in that kind of that sort of small town very moody um, sort of no, noirist kind of effect to it all and then it's almost scored in this kind of John Carpenter-esque way and it's got this electro score that kind of frames it that just makes you feel a little bit sort of uncomfortable and it, it 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 ticked along really nicely and I think it's often it's often easy to forget with Michael C. Hall because 
because Dexter became such an iconic character for him uh, and an identifiable character that he's actually quite a good character actor as well. Um, and all that's there, and it's, there's this story that kind of throws you in different places, and it's it's almost a, a who done it at the same time that there's been a mystery, at the same time as them looking for this guy. And there's 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 quite a lot going on, but it almost feels like there's not that much actually happening, which is quite nice. There's no big great grand scenes really apart until you get to sort of like the end and characters make kind of stupid decisions but stupid decisions that you can kind of see why they're making them uh, i was incredibly impressed with calls and joy uh what were your thoughts uh yeah and i don't know why i was shying away from spoilers when i did the plot synopsis because we're kind of all spoilers all the time so i don't, I don't yeah. know why i did that uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I really liked it as well. Actually, I, I, um, I do have, um, I do have some prob- uh, some uh, kind of problems with it. But um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's just, it, I think it works. It, it's a good mixture of style and content, and um, I like, I, I, I like the way that. Mickle manages to kind of um, bring a, a, a bit of a freshness to kind of genre material, even though the the, the, the freshness here is basically in in the eightiesness of it. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, as well as the John Carpenter esque score, I mean, the font of the film is that John Carpenter font as well. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and it's. It kind of just feels like a film that was ripped from the 80s, apart from the fact that it was shot digitally. You know, I mean, it's just like the like the haircuts are down, right? Like um, Michael C. Hall's got a pretty kind of mean mullet going on. Um, it's for... it set in 89, isn't it? I thought it was 87, but I, 87. I, 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 I might be wrong. Idea. But um, it's that it's got that that kind of small town Americana feel to it. And it kind of feel, it does feel like, um, Mikkel and Davici kind of know or remember this very well. Um, and, and I mean, as well as that, I mean, it's just, it's a fun little, little pot boiler of a film. Mm. You know, it, it kind of, it feels like you, well, I mean, obviously it's based on the, the Joe, uh, Joe Lansdale book, um, Joe Lansdale who wrote Bubba Hotep. And it, ha- it hasn't got that kind of straight up genre inflections of Bubba Hotep, but it does feel like you're, you're kind of reading a grimy paperback. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't have, um, that kind of, those, those comedic, kind of lilts and those comedic nods it is there are the occasional kind of um not chuckle bits but there are the occasional nervous laugh bits but it is it, it is quite a a serious film in itself yeah i mean it, it's the don johnson character it's intense. yeah but no absolutely i mean he he brings some levity to the situation, yeah. But then where the plot goes in the third act with the um the kind of the the, the revelations of what's actually going on with um Sham Seth, the shepherd's character's son um uh, Wyatt Russell by the way yeah um, you know so another eighties connection there um, <laughs> I 
another carpenter connection as well. Yeah, yeah, straight up. Um, and, and he's good as well. He's not on screen yeah. that much, but he's um, that. The, the, there's a scene in a video store where like you genuinely can't tell whether he's just being a good like friendly manager of the video store or whether <laughs> he knows something's up. Like there's an yeah. ambiguous, uh, ambiguous uh, ambiguity. Uh, that's the word. <laughs> You get the feeling that, that it, he could quite easily go either way yep. from actually helping him find something in the video store and recommending a film to him or um, or essentially locking the door and, and causing some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, it, it that's 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 impressive. I mean, because I mean, the, the whole film seems to be about the hidden sides of people, mm. apart from like Don Johnson, who's just the like outwardly he is what he is. But John I mean, was a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um, I mean, like Sam Shepard's character, he starts off as one thing, but then he he, he kind of turns into into somebody else, even though he's still a very dangerous man there's a kind of like there there is a melancholy and a sadness to to his character arc and michael c hall i mean he's got this like it, it, it it's a fairly standard trope of like the the meek man mm. uh, get uh, becoming uh, like becoming a man i i, I mean i think in, in some ways i mean i think the film's the film occasionally drops the ball a little bit in in the dialogue in in kind of how obvious that is there's a there's an, a, a bit early on where um He's just like, like I think Dimitri's character's like, oh yeah, it must have been a scary, scary situation for a man like you. Yeah. And, and then he's just like, well, you know, blah blah blah. It, it, it just, it, it, there's stuff like that where I am a little bit, I don't, I didn't really need that. I already get. It was like, a little bit spelled out. Yeah, there, yeah. There um, are, there are, like you said, there are points where the film doesn't quite work. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, th- this. This idea of the the hidden side of people, and I think it's it's interesting, and it kind of comes out in 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 surprising ways. And I mean, again, also sometimes in ways that don't quite feel cohesive. Um, I mean, like what Nick Dimitri's character was doing, like leaving Sam Shepard's character on the railway tracks. I mean, I'm assuming it's just so basically Sham, Sam Shepard's character won't cause any shit. Yeah, essentially. Well, well. But what, it, what end up fucking digging too deep? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's it's kind of weird, and I mean, like you, his character literally, and I, I this I this must have been deliberate. But Don Johnson's character comes into uh, Michael C. Hall's workplace, and then Dick, Nick Dimitri's just like, "Oh, you're busy. I'll see you later," and walks out. And then I don't think he's in the film for the rest. I, I think that's his last scene. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it, it's literally. The driving force of the second half of the film is coming in, and the, like the, the man force of the second half is coming in, and the man force of the first half is kind of leaving. Yeah, and it, it very much does. There is very much a shift in the in the actual balance of the film, the actual style of the film. Mm. Um, the minute Don Johnson, like, literally the minute that scene kind of happens, the film does kind of switch to being something else um while still keeping you in that world that's there it, it, there is a, a noticeable all right so this is fucking going somewhere else yeah exactly i mean i mean like the score kind of amps up at that, that, yeah. that, that uh, around that point as well and the kind of the electro stuff they had a little bit of at the beginning 
but it it really ramps it up in the, in the second half of the film, which was which was awesome. The score's great. Um, yeah, the score is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Um, it, it kind of feels like uh, one of those scores that Death Walks Records will put out at some point on vinyl. You know, it's uh, just yeah. kind of kind of waiting for that to happen. But um, yeah, I mean the, the and. I mean, there has been criticism of the film that it is, it kind of feels like it is three films rolled into one. And in a way, I kind of understand that, but it's not, I, I think it still flows all right. You know, I mean, Michael C. Hall's, uh, Hall and his, like, wanting to know what's going on is generally the arc through the film, even though in yeah. the third act, he does slightly become a passenger, I, I, I felt. But I think he would become a passenger in that situation yeah, anyway. Sure. He, 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 he would he would essentially be almost tagging along, and they they know that 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 they that they can use that they could use that extra Bobby. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It just it's um it's interesting because then the last shot of the film is kind of back to him again, but then. He has literally been standing in the background for about like 10 minutes previous. You know, I mean, he gets that one moment, which was awesome. Uh, the one moment where he, um, shoot, uh, where, where he's kind of tackling that guy and then the yeah. guy gets shot and then his blood just goes all over the light and then oh, the entire room's bathed in red. That's a lovely shot. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. Even though earlier on in that scene, I think there's like purples and greens around that is a little bit. Where's this coming from? But you, you also don't really care. It's just, it's, it's getting its eighties on at that point. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I don't know. I mean, it's like the, the, the style of the film just meshes with the substance of it very well. I think even though there's not anything in the film that's particularly fresh, but the way it's, the way it's kind of presented it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's the theories that there is no originality in the world anymore, and you know what Tarantino does so well is that he cherry picks stuff uh, and combines them to make something original based out of a part, uh, like a, a combination of old parts, and it kind of feels that's what like that's what Dimitri and Mikkel were doing here, and I'm all good with that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. You know, if if um, Mikkel and Dimitri's thing now is they're going to do kind of. 80s, 90s sort of um, small town America kind of noir films. Then you know what? Fuck it. If they release something else, you know, in a year's time that's similar to this and along this kind of theme, I, I'm fucking fine with that. That's that's great for me. I, I love these these kind of films. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting because it, it kind of seems like they're maybe trying to make a shift out of the, the, the kind of being known for horror genre. And, yeah, and, and, and they're still, but they're still kind of staying in the, in the ballpark, but on the fringes. Yeah. And I like the fact that, that they're, you know, they're releasing a good amount of films. I mean, it, it, it's a quick turnaround since we are, we are to this, you know, they're not leaving it sort of three, four years between films, although it was a, a, about two, three years between Stakeland and um, and We Out We Are. But then again, Stakeland was a, a smaller movie. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's... Um, it was a name maker. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it certainly made an impression. I think it won um, like the Midnight Madness Award at TIFF as well. So it, it's, yeah, I mean, that's certainly got them on the map. And I mean, like, we are what we are. Generally, it actually got really good reviews. But I, you, you said you're a lukewarm on it. I, I straight up didn't like the film, really. Um, so it's it's nice to it, it, it's nice to see them try something a bit different and actually do well with it. You yeah. Know? Um. And I mean, it, it must be said as well. Uh, even though we said Don Johnson's a, a, a bit of a casting character earlier on, he is fun. Yes, he's he's fun. He's he's actually quite good as well. Mm. You know, you know, he's he's he plays the character very well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It kind of it kind of feels like it's it it could be based on somebody he knows or something. There's a yeah, the, like the kind of the southern gentleman thing. There's a kind of an authenticity to that. And uh, I mean, Sam Shepard's good. Uh, it's just like he's. He's quite reined in, and his his character is a man of few words, and it's there's it, it, the fact that he's with a far more showy person for most of the film, I suppose, that maybe doesn't help. It's a, it's stoicism in the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think are we about done on calling? I, I think maybe I, we I, are. I think I, I think we're done. I think we've we've, we've reached a happy. A happy conclusion. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, de- definitely not shit. Um, oh, no, definitely not shit. Yeah, uh, um, very much enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, I mean, it's it's not a film that's going to pop up on my top ten list or anything like that. But I look forward to watching. It. It's it's one when it's on Blu-ray and I see it for like six or seven quid. Yeah, it'll be mine, kind of a thing. Yeah, that that that's it. I, I can very much see me going in sort of like you know early next year, it cropping up on Netflix and going ooh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Defo, nice. Um, okay, so that was uh, de- two definitely not shits. Uh, we are going to have some uh, promos for podcasts we like and whatnot, and then we will get into some one of one you. <laughs> It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick, the manager, you love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Sick 
listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just thinking that's the third time, though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at csvsp.libson.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody... <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Okay, we are back, and it's time for One Old, One New, and Mark, why don't you kick us off? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll kick us off with our, uh, my One Old. Uh, I've only actually watched uh, one old uh, film uh, since we last recorded, a uh, combination of uh, there's been a lot of football on, um, and um, we started our Sons of Anarchy rewatch in preparation for the new series starting in September. We have got six series to get through. Uh, in saying that, we started it just over a week ago, and we're up to series four already. So, <laughs> uh, so we powered through that. Um, I watched uh, a few months ago. It's both on the podcast that I uh, watched uh, City Slickers uh, and thoroughly enjoyed my rewatch of that. So um, I was flicking through uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime the other day just to see, just for something to to, to watch. Uh, and City Slickers two came up, and I thought, Do you know what? I've only seen it once, and I remember it being shit. I'm willing to give it another go. So uh, I give uh, 1994's uh, sequel to 1991's Six Liquors, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. Uh, I've got a rewatch. Um, it's the same characters. Uh, you've got Mitch Robbins, uh, played by Billy Crystal, um, and um, Phil, played by uh, Daniel Stern, uh, who it's a year on from uh, the events of the first movie. Um, and with there's no uh, Bruno Kirby uh, in this film, um, he's replaced uh, by John Lovitz, uh, who plays um, Billy Crystal's brother, uh, who arrives on the couch. And he's a typical uh, John Lovitz character. Of he's an an outright kind of loser and a bit of a bum, but has some great little quirks in the fact that he randomly just starts um, doing scenes from The Godfather Part Two. <laughs> Uh, throughout the movie, where somebody will say something and and he'll, he'll just start talking, everyone will look at him and go, "What are you talking about?" And then you'll realise that he's doing a bit from Godfather Part Two, yeah. and he'll do the entire scene, which is uh, amusing for the first few times. Um, the basic story is uh, is that um, Billy Crystal's character Mick Robbins uh, finds it in the hat that he was given by Curly, played by Jack Palance finds a treasure map uh, and decides that they should go and try and find this treasure. Uh, so off uh, Billy, uh, Crystal, Daniel Stern and John Lovitz go to find uh, the legend of Curly Gold. And the film's actually called City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly Gold. Uh, they end up getting trapped by uh, some other cowboys who try and steal the map off them and they're saved by Curly. Except it's not Curly. It's Curly's twin brother, played by Jack Palance, <laughs> called Duke. Nice. <laughs> um, you can pretty much guess what happens that goes on for the rest of it. Um, City Slickers 2 is one of those movies that, viewed by any normal person, any rational person, uh, any sort of human that has normal standards, would finish it and go, that's terrible. Uh, except I finished it and went, do you know what? I actually quite enjoyed that. 
yes, it's shit. Yes, it's basically the same film as the first film. Um, and yes, it knows and actually references that it's the same film as the last film uh, on several occasions. But if you've enjoyed the first film, you've kind of become a little bit attached to these characters, despite the fact that they're all quite irritating. Uh, Jack Palance is always entertaining to spend time with, uh, and essentially he is playing exactly the same character here. Uh, although they try to make uh, Duke a different character to Curly, he's the same person. He's the same character. He dresses the same. He acts the same. He just gets called by a different name. Uh, but again, it's—I uh, mean, it's nearly two hours long. Um, but I, I had enough fun uh, with City Slickers too. To when it finished, go. Do you know what? Yeah, I, I actually I enjoyed that and I got enough out of it. If you liked the first one and you haven't seen the second one, um, it is it's probably worth giving it a go because if you like the first one, you're the type of person who will probably get on with the second one. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, that's it. I'm not going to go into too much detail because for fuck's sake, it's City Slickers to the Legend of Curly Gold. There's not that much to get into, but it was the only rewatch that I had of the the week. And you know what? I'm happy with it. <laughs> nice, fair enough, man. Cool. Um, okay, so sweet. Um, I'm going to uh, kick off my one new. Um, I won't go into too much detail about this one either. But um, yeah, so I saw. It's weird, actually. Um, How to Train Your Dragon Two, which. Let me get this right. Okay, so there were previews of it Saturday and Sunday before last. There were previews Saturday, Saturday and Sunday last week. There's a previews Friday, Saturday and Sunday in England and Wales, even though it opened in Scotland and Ireland last weekend. And then it formally opens in England and Wales next Friday. So before it opens, it would have had seven days worth of previews spread over the three previous weekends. And, and then it's out. So, uh, so it'll have an amazing opening weekend because essentially it's been out for a week. Ah, but the thing is, because it opened in Scotland and Ireland this weekend, it actually debuted in the chart this week and only made like six hundred grand because it was just Scotland. It was just the three days from Scotland and Ireland that were counted. So basically, the weekend, the. The weekend, so next weekend, that weekend's box office will be that weekend's takings in Scotland and Ireland, and then the seven days worth of previews from England and Wales, and the three days of England and Wales opening a weekend formally added on to that week, even though it's going to be like the third week of its release. So basically, it's going to jump up like 700% or something <laughs> in, its like, in its third weekend in the chart. Mental, um, yeah. and I mean, it's it, it's weird as well. Just slight tangent. Transformers: Age of Extinction comes out on Saturday, so that it can have six days of previews and then an opening weekend in the UK. So that's not out. Technically, that's not out this weekend. Technically, it's, it's not out this weekend. this weekend. It opens on Saturday. It, it's like Neighbours did. Uh, Bad Neighbours, even. Yeah. Fucking hell. It, 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 which I think. Is basically, they had the date, and then they thought, shit, England are out of the World Cup. Ah, yeah. Let's have a load of previews, because the cinemas will take it, and we'll make a load of money. Because the thing is, the weekend after Transformers formally comes out in the UK is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. 
Mm. And the way the reviews are going for that and the way that marketing's already rearing up, that's going to be big. Yeah. So it's anyway. It's get it in and get it, get it, get it money made before something yeah. else can come along. Yeah, exactly. And then a couple of weeks after that, you got Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, so it's, um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, how to train your dragon too. So, um, it's been out in the US for a few weeks. So a lot of you are probably thinking, what the fuck? Like, why is this such a big deal? Um, essentially the story is, uh, it's five years later, uh, which is rare for an animated film. You know, they, they, the characters are older. And apparently wiser and whatnot. And, um, Hiccup and Toothless are happy and they're going around, uh, uh, looking for new areas and things. Uh, Hiccup's dad, Stoic the Vast, uh, again voiced by Gerard Butler, wants Hiccup to, uh, basically become the leader of their tribe. And, uh, Hiccup's not too sure about this. And, uh, when try, uh, exploring around, Hiccup encounters, uh, spoiler alert for the trailer, his mum. Uh, voiced by Kate Blanchett. Uh, and, uh, there's a new threat and, uh, he has to decide basically whether he wants to, like, kind of follow the path of his mum or his dad. Uh, so, how to train your dragon too. Uh, I was not as in love with this film as a lot of people are. And considering the way that, like, a lot of people do tend to talk about gender politics in mainstream films, I'm amazed this film isn't getting more shit. Um, is that because nobody knows how to go and see it? <laughs> well, there is that. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, it's it's interesting. Kate Blanchett's character is built up as a really, really, really major character, and then basically, it's <sighs> mild, mild spoiler for general things that happen in the film. Do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. Okay, basically, she's. She's bigged up as the, uh, as this like fierce protected like woman who can protect herself and can look after herself, and it's kind of interesting. But she basically gets back with Stoic the Vast, and then they decide to be a family again. And then for the rest of the film, she gives a couple of inspirational speeches, but that's about it. And like before the big reveal of her being the mum. She's pretty kick ass and, you know, she's kind of mysterious and there's kind of an edginess to her. And then as, as soon as she's mum, she's just kind of mum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's a bit it's a bit weird. Um, and also um, uh, 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 Hiccup's girlfriend in it, um, uh, Astrid uh, is America Ferreira voice in her, uh, basically it has nothing to do uh, throughout the entire film. And uh, Kristen Wiig's character um, basically spends it comically fawning over Kit Harrington's new character. And that's about it. Um, so, and I mean, that's kind of a shame because in the first film, Astrid's a stronger character than Hiccup for like most of the film. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it just it's just the fact they don't have too much to do. So it's the thing is, it's not usually a massive, 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 massive bugbear with me. But I am surprised that this film isn't copying more shit. And I think it's just because everyone's supposed to like How to Train Your Dragon too. Yeah. So, you know, but I still, I gave it, fuck, I gave it four and a half out of five on Letterboxd. I'm actually going to adjust that. I think it's more of a four. Um, the, the thing is, though, it is impressive in other aspects. The visuals, uh, we, we rewatched How to Train Your Dragon um, uh, the weekend before we saw this. And... The visuals in that are good, but the visuals in this are better. The creature design's better. There's kind of a more of a vibrancy to it. The color palette seems a bit brighter. And um, it, it just, that all kind of 
works more and the character designs much better as well and the the action again is very impressive and there there are moments of edge to the film that i was quite surprised by uh there's something that happens in the second act which you see coming once it's coming but you don't beforehand and uh it's kind of ballsy um even though it gives way to a third act which i thought was going to be ballsier than it actually is um, it, it's, uh, there's one point about 20 minutes before it ended. I thought if it ends here and sets up a third part, that's going to be fucking incredible. And, and then it kind of has the last 20 minutes and then it ends on a good note and a fulfilling note, but not quite the, this is actually really daring kind of slightly toy story freeish angle. Not that they're all about to die but a kind of like a thematic hopelessness with a tinge of optimism kind of thing, which, which would have been great. But um, yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very good time, but it's, I, I do think it's getting overpraised in some quarters and I think it's interesting that it's box office hasn't been super impressive so far. And I, again, I wonder if How to Train Your Dragon is maybe one of those films that's a bit more popular on the internet than it is in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think there's a lot of revisionist like of uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Perhaps. I mean, I remember it being very well liked at the time, but I do remember some people going, this is better than any Pixar film, blah, blah, blah. It's, frankly... It's not the best animated film of the year because The Wind Rises will be the best animated film of the year. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, but um, it's um, it's it, I mean, it's 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 a good time nonetheless. Just maybe temper your expectations. Yeah. Fuck. Right. Um, my uh, one uh, one new um, is um, the John Michael McDonough film uh, Calvary. Um, which... Do you know what? Yeah. Oh fuck! I was very close to doing this myself, so that's you awesome. That you're going to do this. Have you watched this week? Yeah. Oh right. Um, do you know what? We... Yeah. Do you know what? Sorry. Can we just do this instead of my one old? Um, just so we can kind of get into it a bit. If you want, yeah. If yeah. You cool. Do that, okay, great. Uh, what, what was going to be your one old? Uh, what was going to be my one old? Um, Transformers: Darker the Fucking Moon. So bollock yogurt. Let's do this. Um, it's a it's it's um, black comedy movie from the guy who did The Guard, and I, um, if I remember correctly, you were a big fan of The Guard, weren't you? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I really liked it, but I, I can't say I was a massive, massive fan. Yeah, I mean, I was I liked The Guard to an extent of the fact that I I, I enjoyed watching it, but I did think that at points it let its let's be honest, its racism. Um, at points, it stopped being um, the characters, and it started to feel a little bit like it was the director and the writer as well. Like, it, like this wasn't just them saying, "Oh, this is what people are like." It felt a little bit. There was points where it went a little bit. All right, we get it. Is there is there anything more at this uh, in the, um. the game? Um, so that's why I was a little bit a little bit nervous about Calvary. Um, 
and it opens with this wonderful, and this isn't a spoiler because it's the first fucking scene of the movie. I think it's in the trailer as well. Uh, where you have um, Brendan Gleeson's character, um, Father Lavelle, uh, is sat in confessionary, and we see him, it's the shot of just him, uh, and a somebody else comes into the confessionary booth and starts basically saying that they were sexually abused by a priest repeatedly as a child, um, and what he's going to, what this gentleman's going to do is he's going to kill Brendan Gleeson. The Not first line of the film is something like, I first tasted semen when I was seven years seven old. Seven years old, yeah. And then a, a Brendan Gleeson actually says something like, that's, well, that's a hell of an opening line. Yeah, that's a hell of an opening, yeah. Uh, and then there's the question of, what have you got to say about that? And he's like, well, not a lot, really. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot to say. Uh, and then he basically tells him that he's going to kill him, but not because he's the priest who did it, but because he's a good man. And he says, you know, there's no there's no shock in killing a bad priest, but killing a good priest, that'll get people. But he's going to give him a week um, to, to get his orders in a fair before he kills him. Um, and then from there, we spend time with... Um, Brendan Gleeson's character, as he's basically being a, a, a good man and a, a quite a nice guy uh, and quite an understanding guy, and all he seems to be surrounded by are all these people who are essentially just trying to push his buttons, and um, who you know there is a, there's a shift, um, and it's very much evident here, and it's it, it's it's basically showing you this and saying this is what's happening. There's a shift in Ireland uh, from it being a, a very deeply uh, Catholic country to a country now that's still Catholic, but is kind of pointing at Catholicism and saying, you're bad. It kind of resents the fact, it, like the, the impression you get in this film is that it, that it, they resent the fact that they are Catholic only. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're very much prodding, and the, the priest has gone from being, um, you know, a very sort of respected and very powerful person within the community to somebody you show off how badly you are, how, how bad a Catholic you are being, so you can rub it in their face that all you have to do is, is, is go to confession and ask for absolution and you will get it, because that's the way it works. And almost like their point is saying, look, we know the fucking loopholes, and let's face it, no matter what I'm doing... Uh, you fucking lot have done ten times worse, you boy fuckers, which is essentially what they're doing. And you have all of these characters, ranging from um, Chris O'Dowell's character, who's a bit of a twat and accepts the fact that his wife is sleeping around, but is happy that his wife is sleeping around, because if she's sleeping around, she's not bothering him, and he likes that. His wife is quite blatant in the fact that she's sleeping around. You've got the, um, the Ghanaian, is it? I think he is, uh, Simon, who... Oh, it's Ivory Coast. Is it Ivory they, Coast? They, they make a point of saying that at one point, don't they? Yeah, um, and, it, you know, he's he's aggressively to the point of where he's like, no, I'm not having I'm not having an affair with her, I just occasionally fuck her. Well, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Then you've got Aidan Gillen playing this doctor who is playing a stereo... He's, he's actually actively playing a stereotypical atheist doctor. Uh, and he's just a he's just a twat. And then also you've got um, Dylan Moran playing a uh, a banker 
who is quite clearly broken but just wants to is actively again being a twat and we get some great scenes with him it is a deeply strange and uncomfortable film to watch at points and i kind of fell in love with it uh, what was what was your thoughts? Like? Yeah, I I agree. I was um, I was a big fan. Yeah, it's uh, one thing, the one other thing I'll, I'll say before I I I, I I'll let you actually have get get a word in because I feel like I'm kind of no no no, no that's alright. I don't know if you time to talk. Is is it, um, it, it's films like this uh, where you're actually reminded that Brendan Gleeson is fucking marvelous. He's the he? shit. He is He's, so fucking good in this film. He, he 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 can switch so quickly from being quite kind of cavalier and kind of a little bit kind of jaunty and comedic and throwaway kind of very sort of black comedy lines to then jumping into a very dramatic and very angry and forceful um, lines in it as well, where he has this great there's a scene where he eventually cracks and shouts at somebody. And it, you do find yourself watching it kind of being, holy fuck, he's he's quite scary. Mm. And that that's what Brendan Gleeson can do. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, exactly that. He is absolutely incredible. And I mean, he's just wading through this island of shit all around him. Mm. And... I mean, like, and yet his his character. I mean, the most upsetting moments of the film, and considering the way that the film ends, this is surprising. But the the most upsetting moments of the film are when he is kind of giving in to the the kind of the shit around him. You know, yeah. I, I, even though the last the last kind of the last minute or so is pretty upsetting too. Um, but. It, 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 you don't. You just want to see this guy be all right, and that's that's interesting. You don't see many films, especially these days, where the that you want the priest to just you want to give him a hug. Yeah, he he, he really is just a nice guy. But but I mean like he's he's not a saint or anything like that. And I mean like oh. his scenes with Kelly Riley are lovely. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, and she she's cracking in this as well. Um, and I mean, it, it's the laughs in the film don't feel out of place. The 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 way it manages to handle the tone is quite something. Yeah, it, it really is. It it keeps it so well. It never it never drifts too far into just outright black comedy. Uh, but it also never it never stops it from feeling uncomfortable, and it keeps that it it keeps that mystery, uh, or it did to me. Uh, although you kind of you kind of work out who it is, but I didn't. <laughs> I will say I, I wouldn't say that I I absolutely in my brain was like I knew it was that guy, but. My strongest feeling was towards it being that guy um, of it there. But it, it plays so well with going, it could be this guy, it could be this guy, it could be this person, it could be this person, or it could be this person. And that's marvellous. And there's, there's even the, the, the black comedy scenes in it are outright black comedy. There's a great scene where Dylan Moran kind of 
almost uses his cavalier attitude to dare himself to do something. Yeah. And uh, Brendan Gleeson's response to it is a wonderfully naturalistic response yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it, you can see Dylan Morris character kind of gets taken back and goes, right, well, and he, he, he essentially, he's put himself in a position where he has to do yeah. it. <laughs> and then he does. And you go, that's horrible, but brilliant at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 if it was a, if this was a main review we're doing, I'd be telling you what that bit is. But I want people to come across it in, in their own way. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's there's an awful lot of good stuff in here. I mean, I, I will say it does, and I don't really care, but it does it represent another example of Aidan Gillen doesn't know what accent he's doing, even if he's doing his own. That's another thing. It's it. It does seem like Aidan Gillen decides what voice he's going to put on the minute the, the director first goes. Do, do you action, watch, he just goes. Do you watch like, Game of Thrones? I, I don't know. It's fucking, he's become infamous for it in Game of Thrones. Every time he like his character kind of disappears for stretches, then comes back, and every time he comes back, he's got a completely different accent. It's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's. I like Aidan Gillen. But... Oh, I, I do actually. Yeah, I, he was quite consistent in his accent when he was in The Wire. Sure. Um, but then he came when he was in uh, Dark Knight Rises. He just had that really weird American accent. Yeah. Where it was like that is that that is like that's American that is to American accents what Johnny Depp's um, from Hell Cockney accent was. Sure. It was that bad. But he is actually quite a good actor. Yeah, he works well. His kind of his um, ambiguousness, and I mean everybody's really though, just like which is kind of dictated by the plot, but also just the fact that you don't know whether they are actually religious or not, or if they are fucking with him, or if they are being serious. I mean, it's 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 good. I mean, and when they are being mean to him, it is genuinely upsetting. Yeah, I mean, they, they are frankly just fucking horrible yeah uh, and, and you know there's, you, they almost they almost tell you they're almost at pains to tell you that he's not done anything wrong in the community or anything like that that it, it, it's just they're just being arseholes for the sake of analysis with the exception of um, killing Scott's character Milo there's a wonderfully comedic scene where he basically comes and says that he's going to join the army uh, because he can't get laid yeah, and it, yeah, it'll yeah, give yeah. him some reason, and that's it. That almost feels like a short film within this film. And sure, it, yeah, it feels a little bit strange, and and I've seen some people say that the problem with this film is it doesn't feel naturalistic because all these characters are so big, and they're all, there's every character has something wrong with them, um, and that feels a bit strange, and that is that is entirely true, but. When it's handled this well, I think it can work. And you just have to say, you just have to go along with it and not not kind of try and say, oh, well, isn't it a coincidence that all these people are in this small town? It's like, well, yeah, it's a fucking film. If there was just one of them and everyone else was normal, it would be a shit film. Yeah. That's what film is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yes, uh, if we're doing it as a... As a thing, it'd be a definitely not shit. It is 
a, a wonderful film, and I urge people to to track it down uh, in whatever way they can. Yeah, Defo. It's uh, it's number eight on my films of the year so so far. So jeez, nice. Yeah. Right. Speaking of that, yeah. um, I, I'll be honest. I haven't made a top five. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, basically, um, Mark uh, asked for uh, people to give our uh, their, their uh, best, worst, and most surprising um, uh, films. He literally only asked it today, so we haven't had that many responses. But um, I'll just say uh, Ethan Barr at Ethan Barr 2 says my fairly standard top five, which isn't quite what we asked for, but I'm going to take it uh, yeah. in random order. Lego, uh, oh, excuse me, her, Wolf of Wall Street, Calvary, and Frank. Yep. And Rick J. Kidd says, best Grand Budapest Hotel, worst I, Frankenstein, most surprising, a long way down. Uh, Mark, what did you come up with? Uh, well, I, I, I just based them as, as a few that I that I think will be troubling my top ten of the year. Uh, Calvary, without question, uh, will be. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. I'm almost tempted for, to, for my top ten at the end of the year to say, look... Wolf of Wall Street was my favourite film of the year, but it, 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 I kind of feel like I'll have talked about it too much to put it at number one, <laughs> to almost to put it in like a pantheon. Um, I will also um, put into there um, 22 Jump Street, um, was you know, really, really enjoyed that. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm actually drawing a little bit of a fucking blank now. Now I've got to it. I should have probably made some notes, but I haven't. Um, I've still really, really enjoyed uh, Transcendence. I know that I, I'm one of the only people on the planet that seems to have, but I, I did really get a lot out well, of it. Right there with you. Um, so, yeah, uh, my surprises were um, Calvary uh, was a surprise. Uh, a Million Ways to Die in the West, I count that as a surprise uh, for how much I enjoyed it. Um I I still really got a lot out of Godzilla. I'm looking forward to a, a rewatch of it. Uh, you know, I'd be disappointed if, in a way, if Godzilla was in my top ten at the end of the year, I'd be slightly disappointed that it's there, if you get what I mean. Sure. Uh, and uh, The Raid 2, uh, which I absolutely loved. Um, in terms of um, shittiest film of the year... Luckily, I don't think I've seen that many films that have really, really disappointed me. Um, I mean, the closest thing to it probably uh, would be The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears. Uh, was a huge disappointment, um, just for how much I was looking forward to it. Uh, and it, it, it just it wasn't very good. Um, in terms of anything else, I can't really think of anything that I've watched so far. I mean, there will be things, I'm sure, throughout the year that has made me go... Well, that was a piece of shit. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I the strange color of your body's tears is my fourth bottom. What uh, else have you got on there? Yeah, so I mean, like I've got uh, Crystal Fairy and the Magical Cactus was bo- uh, bottom number five. The Double was bottom number three. I the Double irritated the shit out of me. Um, bottom number two, Rennie Harlan's The Legend of Hercules. There's no surprise there. Worst film of the year so far for me, The Quiet Ones, which I talked about on the show a couple of episodes <laughs> yes, back. Yeah. Fucking bollock yogurt. Yeah, actually, I've not seen that yet, luckily. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll just run through my ten. Uh, ten, Frank. Nine, Snowpiercer. Eight, Calvary. Seven, Only Lovers Left Alive. Six, Ooh, Her. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, six, uh, Her. Uh, five, Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Four, uh, Jodorowsky's June. Uh, three, Under the Skin. 
to the wind rises and one favourite from the year so far could could be top toppled but we'll never know uh, well we will know by the end of the year hopefully uh, inside Lewin Davis cool um, have we got any questions or anything oh I think I think actually I might have uh, somebody might send me direct to me one of their lists there with two seconds uh, da, 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 da. so Luke Yes, uh, Lee at uh, Similist said, uh, best one in Lovers Left Alive, worst Zero Theorem, most surprising, uh, the Lego movie. Nice. And um, we do have a question, but I'll be honest, uh, I think I need to go. So Wait, we'll save that question for next week. Then. Cool, all right. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll make sure we have a kick-ass answer for it. Nice one. And I just realised I didn't actually kind of like do a, segue into planet of the apes so i'll tell you what fuck it planet of the apes talk is coming after this we recorded it a few days ago so uh that's a bit messy my bad but stay tuned for the pla- uh, for the next part of the planet of the apes marathon taking a look at uh, conquest of the planet of the apes uh next week life itself steve james's roger ebert uh, uh documentary which Thank fuck means that we're not, we're not seeing Transformers 4, um, which is awesome. So life itself comes out on US VOD. I will happily spend $10 or whatever on it if it means I don't have to see Transformers. At Ian Loring, yeah. at Dude Foz, at Dude the Monkey, Dude the Monkey at gmail.com. Mark? Uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to doing that, and it's good because um, the Tour de France is coming through York this weekend, so all of our roads are fucking closed, so I wouldn't have been able to get to the cinema anyway. Very, very nice. Works out well. So, yes. um, yeah, and uh, that's going to do it. Uh, sorry for the for the rush there, Mark, but um, uh, you've got uh, you've got Planet of the Apes coming up, so I think the show's going to be about an hour and a half, so hey, pretty much normal length, so sod it. See you guys later, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. And, well, not bye-bye, because it is Planet of the Apes. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye. And uh, it's uh, it's good that we actually recorded uh, late this week. There's no chance that he uh, he's going to be listening. But um just want to say, and to be honest with you, I, I'm sure we'll talk about it on the, the show next week as well. But um, congrats to uh, Mike of uh, Chinstroker vs. Punter and his uh, wife, Hannah. Uh, who welcomed Chloe into the world on um, Thursday the 3rd of July. Uh, it's Friday the 4th as I record this. And um, just kind of putting this in here now, because obviously Mike was on the uh, the podcast for uh, one of the earlier Planet of the Apes uh, parts. Uh, if you can hear things in the background, by the way, uh, Lottie's playing around. But, uh, yeah, um, hopefully Mike could, uh, may listen to this at some point. But, you know, uh, congrats, uh, the two of you. Uh, she's lovely. And... Um, Fair play, 18 hours labour, what the hell. But, um, yeah, so sorry, fairly indulgent for me, but um, fuck it. Here's uh, the clip from the trailer for... Well, actually, here's the trailer. I always do that, don't I? Here's the trailer for Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and congrats, Mike, Hannah, and Chloe. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures... Climaxed by the spectacular revolt of the apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves.
forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to include the use of tear gas and sedation guns. There will be but one control method. Shoot to kill. ultimate revolution. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! Okay, so it is time for the latest part of Ian and Mark throw their own shit at each other. And you just heard a clip from nineteen uh, from the trailer, or the, the actual trailer, not a clip from the trailer, the trailer, for 1972's Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, directed by J. Lee Thompson. Um, again, written by Paul uh, Dane, who had written um, uh, Escape and This and, oh, and Beneath, and he went on to contribute the story for Battle of the Planet of the Apes. So uh, he's uh, kind of a key collaborator on this whole franchise it would seem uh stars ronnie mcdowell again uh, as as well as uh, don murray and ricardo montalban uh story this time um milo uh the baby from the end of escape from the planet of the apes the child of cornelius and zero has grown up and is now called caesar um, he's being looked after by uh um ricardo montalban's character um uh, fernando is that his name uh yeah. something like that um, Armando. Armando, that's it. Yeah. I know, I knew it was an Ando, anyway. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, he's being looked after. by generic Mexican name, man. Yes, yeah, dash Ando, just add here, Ando. Um, so, um, and yeah, he's been looked after by, uh, uh, um, uh, Armando. Uh, <laughs> nearly forgot his name there, fucking hell. Um, and basically, it is, um, as uh, had been kind of foretold in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, cats and dogs were wiped out in a plague. Apes were taken on as pets and have now, are now basically slaves. Um, Caesar, being intelligent, sees this, thinks, oh, not too sure about this, and fucks shit up. Uh, Mark, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Um, the first thing I noticed about Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is um, it, it certainly feels it, it's the lowest budget of the, the, the Apes movies uh, and it certainly feels like it's scaled back like it's a much this this feels like a a 70s kind of B-movie um, the production film. designer yeah. doesn't even feel like they turned up to work no it, it literally just it, 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 it feels like they've gone right We've got this set here. Can we just move anything that makes it look like it is actually the 70s away from it? Uh, and then 
add like a few points to stuff and it'll it'll, it'll work fine it'll look like the future because i mean this film is set um 1991 so it's set 23 years ago um but so it does look very scaled back but it, it still it still feels like um the world that's been created in the first three films it, it still feels part of that that world but it straight away there's a there's a claustrophobia to this movie it feels a little bit nastier and it feels like there's a little bit more of um of an anarchist kind of aesthetic to it there's a lot more nastiness and dirty to it. It, it you know there's the fact that then they're, they're quite clearly keeping the the apes now they're slaves there's no getting away from it they're using them as slaves and they're treating them uh, as slaves and that's not subtle in any way there's no kind of there's no subtlety in in the politics that they're going for within this um and the the sort of opening where you've got uh, Amanda is basically essentially taking Caesar for kind of a walk almost mm. um it does feel a little bit like you know this is the first time he's seen it and it it's it is kind of throwing him in at the deep end of showing you know what's happened and laying down what will what will become the future um, almost uh, and it's it it's quite a fascinating kind of opening twenty minutes that does really work quite well for the film and it it, it did drag me in straight away and I, I you know I I I've seen this film years ago but I'm talking twenty odd years ago uh, probably back when nineteen ninety one was still in the future uh, was when I last saw this movie so I I remembered little bits of it but not sort of like the tone etc of it um and the one thing that took me straight into it was the fact that this was the one where i was thinking this is supposed to be pretty you know one of the poorest of the series and in the first sort of 20 minutes i was very much on board of going do you know what yeah actually I'm, i'm enjoying this a lot more than than sort of large swathes of some of the other uh apes films yeah, I mean, I so and I mean, what what happened after the first twenty minutes for you? Then you just it, you just kind of switched off. Uh, no, it, it, it kind of it becomes a little bit too muddled, and it becomes a little bit a little bit too kind of like they're repeating the same thing um, quite a bit, and you're going right. I, I want you to to open this up a little bit more to make a little bit more of it, but you can obviously tell there are. Um, Production restrictions and budget restrictions there, and they're 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 very very noticeable. And the film kind of loses itself in the middle, sort of half an hour, and it does start to pull itself back towards the end. But you know, when when you start reading about um, the actual original endings of it, you, you can actually certainly see where the film logically should end, and then. The, the next five minutes kind of betrays what it's all been building up to. I'm just just checking the ending of the the one that you watched. Does mm. it end with um, Caesar giving a speech and it ending just really darkly? No, it, it, it ends it ends dark, but the, there is that bit where. Um, it, where they, he, he decides against killing, um, is it Brant, is it? Uh, Breck, sorry. Where he decides against killing Breck. Right, okay, because 
I take it you didn't watch this on Blu-ray. I didn't watch it on Blu-ray, no. Because there's an extended version on Blu-ray that's only about two minutes longer, but crucially, it 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 ends with him like ordering him, that guy killed. And Brett then, killed? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, right. So the, the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, the, and the apes bash the living shit out of him with their gut, like the butts of their guns and whatnot. And, and is that it, the version you watch? Yeah. Ah, you see, in mine, they don't. Yeah, because that's the thing. There are two different versions. Mm. Um, and I'm feeling that would have made me a, a, a much more satisfied, I'll say it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I Because I, I knew of that, that ending, the theatrical version ending, where it's... Yeah, he has a sudden change of heart, like, 30 seconds from the end of the fucking film, isn't it? And then it's just yeah. like, what? And, and the thing is, is they didn't actually film that scene uh, of, of him saying those bits. So what you get is quite obviously a voiceover uh, redone afterwards, and then the occasional close-up of Caesar's eyes, rather than him actually yeah, speaking. That's right. yeah. and it, 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 it does seem, certainly, quite out of place, and you're kind of going, well... It's all been built up to this moment, and then this happens. I, if I don't, I, I'd actually be quite interested to watch, actually, because I mean, it's only, I mean, it's under 90 minutes, um, that kind of extended version, because I, I wasn't aware that the, 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 the Blu-ray had that much more in it. Yeah, I mean, it says, I'm looking on IMDb here, the movie originally ended with Caesar's yell of that day is upon you now, and the yeah. age in Governor Brett to death despite Mr. McDonald's plea. Poor testing resulted in the addition of Lisa yelling no, which was followed by repeated footage of Caesar's speech, dubbed by Roddy McDowell to make him reconsider his decision and give the, the movie a more helpful, uh, uh, hopeful tone. I totally... Um, yeah, and I mean, again, it says here, the second half of the final scene with Lisa begging, begging Caesar to show mercy and him giving his equality speech was added after the film's completion. This is why the final shot is only of Caesar's eyes and his other grainy quality. The show mm. was just, the shot was just a cropped piece of footage from earlier in the film. Ronnie McDowell was brought in to read the final lines, which then edited in its place. Originally, the film ended on a darker note, with the gorillas mercilessly, mercilessly beating Breck and the other human survivors to death with their rifle butts. Much of the same footage exists in both endings, but in the revised version, film, the film of the apes raising their rifles is played in reverse so it appears they are lowering them and footage of the apes beating is cut to make it appear that they are cheering yeah that is noticeable that isn't what's happening (laughs) I mean that's because that's that's the thing like I I I will only watch the extended version of this film because that is the ending I want it's the ending that makes sense yeah and it, it's the ending that it's all building up to. And I mean, like you've got McDonald's character who does try and, and, and reason with him. But I mean, the thing is, if you watch the extended version and then watch and then go into the fifth one, the fifth one doesn't make sense because suddenly Caesar's benevolent and uh, McDonald's actually a character in the fifth one. And it's just like, what? Uh, what? The, uh, what's going on? Like he's now his trusted advisor. What? And, <laughs> and it's 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 a real shame because the, the 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 ending of the extended version has a real palpable nihilism to it which the endings of most of these films do have yeah they are they're all very strong kind of quite brave endings whereas this one seems to have this one very well clearly uh, even admitting it it, it is bending to um to test audiences which is always always troubling 
Yeah, and I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, because in the end of the day, by this time, this was supposed to be a family-friendly franchise. Mm. And you've got um, you've got this, this film, which, to be fair, is one of the most tonally consistent of the whole lot. There's only one moment of comedy I detected in the entire thing, uh, which is when... Um, he's, like, due to inseminate, and, like, Lisa's there, just, like, giving him the come-on eyes. And there's a look on his face where he's just like, oh, fuck it, I may as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, which is which is quite funny. But um, I, I, mean, I will say, though, as well, there are moments in this film that don't quite stick for me. I mean, one big thing, the governor buys Caesar and doesn't twig that... Caesar is the one that they've been looking for for all along. And when it, it, it is revealed that it is Caesar, the governor says, like, this is what I thought at the start. And yeah. he's just, no, you didn't. No, you didn't, you liar. <laughs> you fucking bought him. And it's just, there, 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 there are signs in this film that it's kind of slightly been cobbled together. Yes, definitely, and, without, and, without question. You know, and that sense of, like, things being repeated. I mean, like, the, the opening sequence where they're all being led down that, um, you know, led down in chains and they're being told to do things. I mean, it's basically yeah. replicated later on where, um, they're, they're doing that again and then sees, then Caesar's actually kind of doing all the stuff. And it just, it kind of feels like they just stuck the second sequence in there almost just because they could save costs and add a bit of runtime to it. It just, the production value thing is a massive thing for this film for me. I mean, like I said earlier on, it literally, there's no personality to any of it. It just all is played out, a lot of it anyway, in like open spaces with like really generic looking tables and chairs all, all over the, the place. All the sets and everything in it um, are just remodeled sets from, from other films and TV shows and everything like that. And it, it, it certainly does start to kind of show in the film that that is what's that is what's happening because none of them none of them look lived in by by that film apparently it was shot in and around the university of california irvine campus yeah. which was designed by futurist architect william l Pereira, and it's got that kind of futurist kind of sparse all kind of sharp angles kind yeah. of thing to it but there's no other personality there yeah, it, it very much is. It looks, it looks like the seventies thought that um, the future would look. Yeah, um, and which is which is fair enough. But it, like you say, it, it although sort of tonally and, and character wise, these characters, I think that they do feel to a point true to true to the the, the apes universe. Um, and they've they've done what they can with the sets. You do get this feeling that it's just. Oh, that'll do for that scene. That'll do for that scene. Mm. Not oh, oh, we could do with this something to look like this. Let's say, like, like there was no production designer there. It was just it was all done by location scouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I, I, and oh, fuck, I forgot what I was gonna say. And but yeah, no, I mean the, the I mean, there's kind of lack of inspiration. I mean, you got John uh, Chambers coming back in to do the ape effects, but Caesar aside. And maybe Lisa. The rest of them do essentially just feel like masks. There's no like real articulation to them. No, um, they, they 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 do feel like identikit um, masks. Which you know is it, it's the lowest budget of them, but it's probably got more apes on screen than any of them other than the first two. 
Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, there's, there's big sort of shots where there is swathes of apes, you know, there for a considerable amount of time. You know, there, there's there's less there's less spending time with just a few a few apes in this film um, than, than in some of the others. You know, there is a lot of time spent with large groups of apes. Mm. And I mean, I will say as well, another problem I have with the film, I'm kind of sounding down on it, but I did, I did still enjoy it, but it is the fact that Caesar, and I think this is really handled way better in... Different, okay. Yeah, I got down smart around an absolute bit. Sorry, folks. Yeah, smart around goes off if, if it's hot. Oh. It's incredibly annoying. There we go. There we go. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this aspect's very well handled in Rise of the Planet. So obviously, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. But um, the, the idea of Caesar suddenly becoming the leader of this revolution it's really rushed yeah that that is that is one thing it, it, it does kind of jump from jump from sort of point a to point b really quickly yeah and it's and again i, I suppose this is probably like a budgetary kind of thing as well they just didn't have the budget to be able to like do him having scenes with other rapes and maybe they'd have to communicate with him and they didn't have the articulation in the masks or something like that and it, it's um i mean that 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 is problematic but i mean saying all this um i mean i think when the apes do rise up there that like 20 minute spell there is pretty great the, the yeah rapes, and it, it's it's quite a it's it, it's quite intimidating as well it does feel like like some kind of new swave um like that you know that you, you can get that feeling that they are now the, the this is the first movement to them becoming the the domineering force yeah just like i, I mean i i like the way that the the, the authorities just completely underestimate them and mm. and, and like the, the way that like the simply shouting no and, you know, with the fire and whatnot and the way that they kind of figure out ways around this. And, you know, they, they've never actually thought what would happen if they did rise up, what would we do? And I, I like that kind of sense of, yeah. um, uh, of underestimation that, I mean, is kind of dealt with in a way in Rise of the Planet of the Age. So I think, I think that aspect is going to be really, really key in Dawn. Yeah, but, in, in, in making it, it that's like you say, that'll, It'll be interesting to see how much they deal with with that aspect uh, in comparison to to how this deals with it. Uh, I mean, obviously there'll be you know rise of the money. It's it, it's a huge um, budget film, uh, and there's a lot more gone into it. So they'll be able to deal with those kind of bits sort of in more in much much more detail. Uh, but here, like you say, it does go. Caesar does become the sort of the leader of the revolution incredibly quickly but then again you have got that great scene where he has the big the big speech and it does kind of make you 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 do sort of sit up and sort of watch it and it's a really well delivered um, piece of cinema and it works really really well that he's he's barking this kind of this anger uh, at the screen and all that feels that feels real he feels like 
like he actually is kind of has the belief that this is what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Rodney McDowell is very, very magnetic in that, and the the way he goes from kind of like slightly snivelling, like scared guy to taking shit in his own hands. It's it, it yeah. I mean, it's it, it's great, and it, it does kind of feel like he is Cornelius and Zira's kid mm. as well. You know, it's um. He's got the, uh, the he's got the kind of the willfulness of Zira, um, and the kind of the intelligence of Cornelius, but it, it's been kind of shifted and distorted by what he's seen. Mm. Uh, it's yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, because I mean, there's a good chunk in there where basically he's just going around watching other apes get treated appallingly. Yeah, and it, it, it's I think he's also got the he's also got the future knowledge of what happens in the future. Mm. He's got that knowledge where he knows what's going to happen, and maybe he doesn't know that he's the catalyst for it all as much. But it, it, he kind of he assumes that role that um, that somebody must be the must be the ape that changes it all, and it should be him. Mm. And there's that there's that belief almost there that that's what he's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's it, it's just. That that it, it's the ideas in this film again. Like I've I've said with pretty much every single one that that are really interesting. As much as I like apes, and I do like apes, you know, um, it, it, it is these ideas and the fact that this time it is essentially kind of race relations and slavery. Hmm. Um, and, and you know, the idea of some of you know some of the higher ups like McDonald is very aware that like. If they had skills, they could take them down, uh, take them down very easily. He has that speech when the um, uh, sees this kind of blowtorching into the door, and he's saying, yeah. "If we do not do something now, that's it. This is the end of humanity. We're done." Yeah, mm. you know, and it's it's. I I I think I maybe could have done with more of that, and also, I mean, I will say, I know it's I know it's there for a reason, but the idea that the one single solitary black man in the entire film. Is the one who frees Caesar. It's it is it's on the nose, but then an awful lot of these films are on the nose. So yeah. I, I suppose it, it's it's part and parcel of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose wrapping things up really. I mean, I would say definitely not shit. Oh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a definitely not shit. Um, it's it's certainly got problems um, as, as a film, but and it loses itself for me in, in the middle a little bit. Um, but there's enough payoff bits in it to make it mm. to make it a very good watch. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very tight between beneath and this for my least favourite so far. Um, but it, it's this is my least favourite so far, but I still liked it. Battle's going to be an interesting conversation. Yes, because I, mean, I, I literally remember nothing about Battle. But then I, I didn't remember that much about Conquest until I actually started watching it and then was going, oh, this happens soon, doesn't it? Oh, do, this happens. Yeah, I mean, do, do yourself a favour. If, if you watch it in the future, watch the other cut. Yeah, well, I'm actually, I, I, I'm actually sort of tempted, to be honest, because it's only like, it, it, it's, it's 88 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually tempted to give it uh, give the the other cut a watch uh, at some point this week, uh, just so I've got both cuts going into in my head. 
uh, going into the next film so I can see what you were saying about the fact that it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't. But, I mean, it, it's they only had the theatrically released ones at the time. But mm. And there's also, I think this one's actually a bit more bloody. There's an awful, awful one very quick thing, because I know you've got to go. But... Um, and, and we're kind of recording this before the rest of the show. But wh- one thing that really come, uh, uh, blew my mind as well is the amount of squib shots to the head that there are. I, I, yeah. I don't know whether there were in your cut, but there's an awful lot of like, apes and humans being shot in the head in this film, which was, I don't know, really striking. I think there's more blood in yours, um, but there's, I, I did come away from this film thinking... It's quite violent, you know, for, for what essentially is a sci-fi family film. Uh, it, it is really quite violent, and there's, like I said, there's a lot of kind of nihilistic undertones to it, like there is throughout the entire series so far. But this is the 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 angriest of the of the film so far, I think. Mm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Mm, oh, absolutely. It, it, it certainly it, it it certainly opens a lot of sort of interesting thoughts uh, within it um, it doesn't explore them uh, as much or as well as it, it probably could have done but it is it, it's certainly an, an interesting film to to watch and to have watched yeah no absolutely it's um I don't know I mean like you, you it's just you come to battle and it's just uh, <laughs> but we'll talk about that next week next week yeah